0: You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice
1: designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. There's a pretty good chance that B2B marketers like yourself are part of a revenue organization that includes marketing, sales, and customer success. And while it's a smart move to have all of the teams tasked with creating and retaining customers all working together, The strategy needs to extend beyond the organization chart
0: i've always loved this idea of thinking about how how strategically you think about revenue and how you grow that revenue and using all the different components of a of a software company to grow the revenue and and being on growth teams where you're bringing in product and product marketing and marketing resources and planning a go-to-market strategy. And, and I've been fortunate enough in my career multiple times to have to go build out a go-to-market strategy or a new go-to-market strategy and work really closely on how do you position it? How do you, how do you um, wordsmith what, what you're saying? What is the compelling reason why someone might change? But then once you get them into the product, really working closely with product to say, you got to make this easy, you got to make this simple, you got to make it so that they
1: never want to change again. That's Greg Bond, Vice President of Sales at Constant Contact. On this episode of the B2B Nation podcast, Greg and I are talking about how revenue teams function best when they're all aligned around the same product and message, about goals for 2023, lessons learned from Greg's career in revenue teams, and even whether TikTok will be around to talk about come the start of 2024. Welcome to B2B Nation. Greg Bond from Constant Contact. Welcome to B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute and tell us who you are and what you do.
0: Hey, uh, thanks Michael for having me on. Um, My name's Greg Bond and I am the VP of Channel Sales at Constant Contact. Um, I have had a very long storied career here at uh, Constant Contact. My former company, SharpSpring, was a marketing automation platform that got acquired by Constant Contact a little over a year ago. And I was the head of revenue at Sharpspring. Prior to that, I was the VP of customer success at Sharpspring. Uh, and I've sort of followed the, the growth of my career within the company, as well as the company's acquisition um, and integration into uh, Constant Contact. And now I've kind of moved across the aisle, if you will, from uh, the acquired uh, property into the Constant Contact uh indirect program which is enterprise sales and channel partners uh and so yeah that's been a fun fun transition over the last few years here at uh
1: contact all right so you were just saying you have held almost every role that exists in a revenue organization at this point you've been a leader you've been customer success you've been obviously in sales what do you think are the biggest lessons that you've learned from those various roles? And as you just told us, you, you know, you've kind of grown from one company to the other through acquisition. What lessons may might you have learned from that experience?
0: Oh my gosh, so many. Um, <laughs> so many lessons here. But um, I think, you know, when, when I, if I take even, even my sales and, and revenue career back to even the earliest days, some of the some of the core tenets that I learned early on in sales have really served me well throughout my career. Um, one of the big ones uh, for me has always been, uh, and it's funny because I, I would have told you prior to getting in sales that I was not a good salesperson at all, that I didn't like sales and I wasn't going to be good at it. And then I got into sales and there was this light bulb moment where I was like, wait a minute, you just you listen to somebody's pain, you understand what they're struggling with and what their challenges are, and then you figure out how to solve that problem for them. And then they buy from you it's like oh well that's that's a lot easier than i thought it was and uh and so m- most of my career has just been doing that and then teaching other people to do that and to do it at scale and to do it by leveraging marketing resources or product resources um and and just kind of building teams and high performance teams that have that core uh that core value sort of built into the foundation of those teams going out and trying to solve problems for for customers um on the customer success side post-sale um really it's about you've already bought the product like there's there's two things that i always talk about with the you know when you look at revenue teams and there's the the pre-sale post-sale the two things are pre-sale it's why change, right? There's a status quo that you're trying to get them to change from. But once they become a customer of yours, it's not why change anymore. Everyone else is trying to tell them why change, it's why stay. And so you you have to figure out the same thing. What, what are the things that you're doing in the product today that you want to continue to do that are making you happy and prove that value to that customer? And all the things you do, all the engagements that you have in customer success with your customers should be reinforcing that value that you're providing and reinforcing those reasons why you should stay. But if you're looking at it on the pre-sale side, when you're looking for new customers, you need to really understand what their pain points are so that you can help them uncover why change, right? What are what are those ways that we can reinforce for you that you know what, you can get a better outcome if you change what you're doing
1: today. I remember that being a like very early In my marketing days insightful moment that you think well marketing right especially if you're familiar with b2c marketing for you know low cost repeatable things the marketing is just buy 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 right Right. buy 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 this shaving cream buy whatever and then you get into b2b and it's it's buy but it's also change because the status quo is sometimes your biggest competitor for sure and like you said it's it's convincing people to change and then flipping it completely around and convincing them not to change right. as, as your customer marketing efforts.
0: Right. And, and I've always, I've always loved Even, you know, when I wasn't a revenue leader um, and I was just on a revenue team, I've always loved this idea of thinking about how, how strategically you think about revenue and how you grow that revenue and using all the different components of a, of a software company to grow the revenue and, and being on growth teams where you're bringing in product and product marketing and marketing resources and planning a go-to-market strategy and and i've been fortunate enough in my career multiple times to have to go build out a go-to-market strategy or a new go-to-market strategy and work really closely on how do you position it how do you how do you um wordsmith what what you're saying what is the compelling reason why someone might change but then, once you get them into the product, really working closely with product to say, you got to make this easy, you got to make this simple, you got to make it so that they never want to change again. And so, I've I've always sort of had this holistic view of of revenue and revenue growth, um, and it's just a fascinating strategic exercise, like a strategic problem solving exercise for me that that I enjoy.
1: Yeah, when you're exercising all of those muscles and all of those teams are working together. It makes it a lot easier. Like you kind of summed it up at the beginning there, where you were just like, "Well, I, I ask people what their pain point is, and then I tell them how they can help." Right? If the yeah. product wasn't good, if the collateral wasn't good, if the product marketers didn't understand the market, like it wouldn't be that easy.
0: Oh, for right? sure. And and I've seen that in my career. I've run into it where, and and I'm sure. I mean, this happens all the time, and and you hear it a lot when you talk about you know uh, sales and marketing misalignment, right? Like marketing is out in the market selling something. Um, selling your, your product, right? But they're selling it in a way that your sales team doesn't sell it. And then your sales team sells it in a different way and then they hand it to the customer success organization and the value that customers get from it is not what you sold it on, right? And and that's where you really start to get a lot of frustration in the customer base. Your attrition goes up. Um, and and I love what's happening today in, in sort of the VC market um, where, the, the companies that are really doing well and continuing to get investment and attention are those companies who are really focused on the product and how the product solves a problem, and, and they focus in on, on controlling their attrition and, and making sure that their retention percentage is, is very high for their customers, and that is going to drive your growth for a very long time. you got to make sure you have that product market fit and that your marketing team and your sales team are super aligned with the value of your product so that you can take it to market in a very um, clear, coherent strategy that has a seamless customer journey
1: throughout. We talk a lot about marketing to marketers on this show, and that's totally my fault because I market to marketers. But You sell into marketing organizations, what would you say are some of the unique challenges of selling tools to marketers and, and other roles in the revenue organization?
0: Yeah, I think marketers are actually really hard to sell to obviously, um, because they've, they've sort of been there done that they've seen it all they they you you have to be a very sophisticated marketer to market and sell to marketers i think it's it's less so it's funny you can sell to a salesperson pretty easily but selling to a marketer is is a lot more difficult um uh but you know i i think uh when you look at marketers and and a product built for marketers marketers are are super creative people right they they think outside of the box they think about um a lot of their job is uh, is built around a creative process, and a creative process is is very difficult to build a technology for to begin with. Um, and a lot of what marketers today are looking to um, in a technology or a software um, is data that helps them test and experiment. And so, I think really focusing in on those marketers who want to experiment, who want to test, who want to be on the cutting edge of creativity and then providing them with the information that they need um, is, is what attracts them to products and what attracts them to services that they partner with and so as a sales person or a sales leader who's leading a sales team that sells into marketers i think you have to go that extra mile to really educate your sales team you you have to make sure they're experts in the space and that they're providing data and that they're they're really walking alongside these marketers who are trying to make a very big decision with typically a, a significant amount of budget that's going to drive the growth of a business forward and and they have to be able to trust you they have to trust you with their business and, and a lot of times with their livelihood and so there's a lot of faith being put in that salesperson and so i think when you, you go back to what you said a, a little while ago about transactional sales or buy, 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 that's going to put a marketer right off. And they're going to say, you're not understanding my problem. You don't understand how I'm looking to solve a problem in my business. And I don't, therefore, I don't trust you and I won't buy from you. So trust is just a huge, huge part of selling to marketers and and getting getting them to believe that you have the empathy and authority. You've been there, you've done that, you understand their pain points and where they're coming from, and you'll be able to deliver a, a product or service that. Uh, will solve their problem.
1: I think the the line from B2B Nation episodes from the past year that I have repeated the most was marketers the first people to stop filling out forms. And... <laughs> <laughs> Great point, yeah. <laughs> right? And so even the marketing that you may have worked in the past, the first people are going to kind of transition off of that. Yeah, the marketers,
0: and it's hilarious because they still they still put forms up on everyone else's website to say fill this out. And then when you turn it around on them, when's the last time you filled out a form? They go, Oh, yeah, I don't do that anymore. (laughs) I, I don't answer the phone when somebody calls I don't fill out forms. Oh, well, then how are we supposed to? How are we supposed to sell something to you?
1: That's where that's where like the, you know, the the way that people are practicing demand gen now, I think, it's it's sort of self-imposed in some ways. I'm not gonna tell my team to go and make calls. I'm not gonna tell them to put forms up because I don't do any of that. Right. So I'm just gonna go and spread the word with content and right hit the social media networks and get yeah. it out there and see what happens because it's true. Yeah, the, it's, the, like, the smart people who have these problems will come to me. Right. And exactly. And yeah, you know, yeah, marketers are they see firsthand. Like and you know what? It's sort of I think of it sometimes, it's kind of It's our fault as an industry, right? Like the never-ending phone calls or like, that's it. There was a time when you fill out a form, you got a phone call and that was fine, I -hmm. think. But too much of that from too many people turns the audience off. Absolutely. You instill that in your own marketing and say, you know what, we're not going to be them. Those this is
0: exactly what I what I mean by like marketers
1: like your job is
0: to be creative. You have to think outside of the box. If you use the same tried and true tactic that everyone else is using in the market, you're contributing to a blindness to that tactic, right? The more people get the same tactic, the less effective it is. And so you always have to start thinking about, all right, is this overused? Is this played out? Is there a way for me to do this differently? And how can I go find a different route or a different tactic or a different hook to get people to pay attention, to cut through the noise. There's so much noise out there in the market. And, and if, if you have to cut through it, you need data, you need experimentation, you need ways in which you can, um, you can try a bunch of different things, throw the spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks and then have the data that tells you, okay, it's, it's, it's this tactic. Try that now.
1: Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's, it's a microcosm of, pop culture in general right like the first thing that's done and it's done well and it's and it's clever is great and then it could be especially these days with all the ways to distribute messages in two weeks it's old news because now everybody's done it right right (laughs) Right. when when i was a kid at least it took a little longer to get sick of stuff because it took longer to create it.
0: it it has the last few years especially two three years have been i feel like the change has in marketing and in sales and in and, and software in general has accelerated to the point where tactics just don't last nearly as long as they yeah. used to.
1: Do you have any goals, personal or professional for your team, for yourself and for your brand in the year ahead? Because we are here in this episode, right at the start of 2023. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, I, I I'm a big goal setter
0: and I, I always set goals at the beginning of every year and, personally, professionally, um, I like to align my teams on goals for the year. What are we gonna do this quarter? What are we gonna do um, in the you know first half of the year? And so without sharing in great detail what those goals are, I think a, a core tenant of what this goal setting is all about is, is getting better. It's learning, um, I'm a huge learner. I want my teams to learn. I want them to develop professionally. Um, I always feel that if you invest in your team, you invest in the people around you, um, you will be successful. You will grow your business. There's no way that you can grow people without growing a business uh, that they're all within. So that's a big part of what I focus on is how can we put programs in place to level up our team, skill up our team, um, develop people better, uh, focus on the the way we do our job or the execution of our jobs uh, so that we can deliver upon whatever the the revenue goals are, right? Like we, we all know we have revenue goals as a company, but if you just target those revenue goals and you don't work on how the people are gonna develop, um, it's a lot harder to hit those goals. You, you, you can get lucky, but um, I'd rather be smart and, uh, have a high performance team that goes out and attacks a goal, then, um, sit back and and just wait for something to potentially
1: roll in. Right. If we were to have this conversation one year from now at the start of 2024, we could start talking about 2024. Now, uh, what do you think we might be talking about? Oh man.
0: Um, such a good question, but, uh, it's hard for me to look that far in advance, um, but I, I will say, uh, you know, I I think I think we're going to be talking in, in the beginning of twenty four about um, the the life and death of TikTok. <laughs> to be honest, I think so many marketers are are running to TikTok right now, trying to take advantage of it. And this is one of those tactics that I think is going to get played out real quick. Um, but also the the platform itself, I think is, is got some issues that it's going to have to overcome in order for it to be just like any of these other platforms. And so I think it'll, it'll be interesting to see a year from now if we're talking about, Hey, remember when we all thought TikTok was the thing to, to
1: go do. Oh, that is when you talk about that, I think clubhouse comes to mind. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like Clubhouse yeah. went from the top of the heap to like non-existent before I think they even finished the Android app.
0: Yeah. No, no one's talking yeah. about it anymore. I think I feel like TikTok's going to be very similar. I think they're going to have trouble monetizing the audience and figuring out how to how to make that a sustainable platform.
1: Yeah. That's and I so listeners can go back one episode, <laughs> the last episode of 2022, Jordan Liebman from Blue Jeans by Verizon. Talked about social media tools being his favorite tools. And I said, we asked this question here for now. Are they going to be the same platforms? Because I feel like we've seen a life cycle to social media uh, where they become the greatest thing. The kids leave first because their parents show up. So therefore it's no longer cool. And they move on to the next thing. So TikTok, be real, whatever it's going to be, right? right. In 2024, the list could be quite different. I mean, Facebook obviously has so many people, such mass appeal, not without its own issues. TikTok is just under scrutiny in so many ways that it's, it, it is it is going to be interesting. I agree with you on that. I,
0: I also think in 2024, um, and, and I think we're going to talk a lot about it in 2023, but in 2024, I think it's going to become even more of a big topic is this whole Third-party cookie, first-party cookie, that cookieless world—all of these things—and I just think in in 2023, people are going to be planning, but in 2024, it's going to (laughs) be operationalized. We got to figure out how to how to still do what we do as marketers and as salespeople in a world that won't allow us to track the way we used to. But there's just too much money in tracking people. I don't think that that it's going to go away completely. I think we're still going to know what people have into websites or what they're interested in it's just going to be in a different format than it was with cookies
1: like it's possible that the the cookie list future from the announcement of the end of google's part of third-party cookies to it actually happening tiktok's entire lifespan might fit in the screen. right <laughs> All right. So that was uh speaking of the favorite tool question. That was, you know, the social medias were Jordan's answer. What is your favorite tool? Our usual rules here apply. You can't say constant contact, uh, and you can't say your phone unless you cite a specific app. And, you know, speaking of constant contact, we have not talked a whole lot about the tool itself. And and that. That's the sign of a good brand. We mentioned at the top that you <laughs> work for Constant Contact and never, never mentioned it again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have to explain what it is, really. Um, yeah, so on the on the tool side of things, I, I don't know. I, I use a lot of different tools, but um, there are two that are sort of my go-to tools that I've had for years that I I will always continue to use. And they're super simple. It's two very simple tools. I use Evernote and I use Google Tasks. Like I keep track of almost everything I do in Google Tasks and I set dates and reminders and all those things there for for myself. And I, I manage my day based on sort of Google Tasks. But I also have this incredible knowledge bank of content and material that I've stashed away in Evernote for years and years and years across every business I've been in. I just, you know, I'll find something, I'll use the web clipper and I'll stash it away. And then I can go back in at a later date when I need something for a new business I'm working with or a new go-to-market strategy. And I just search within that. And I know it's good because I put it in there for a reason, right? I'm not going back to Google to try to start that search over again. I put it there for a reason because it was good when I read it. And, and now I've got this like curated catalog of of really good content that I can always circle back to.
1: Yeah. I do the same with Google keep and I, I find myself, I find myself writing notes because like you said, you go back months or years later and you're okay. I, I, I this is here. Why did I put it here? Because sometimes I'll look in Google keep and I'll be like, this is for that conversation about X, Y, Z that, you know, is going to happen.
0: That's yes. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and you know, the it's funny, there's been things that I've saved, articles that I've saved where I'm like, ooh, this is this is why TikTok's gonna have a short lifespan. And I'll save <laughs> it and I'll come back, you know, when TikTok finally um, is out of the zeitgeist and I'll go, Yeah, see, I saw this back in <laughs> November of twenty-two.
1: Nobody, you know, you didn't, you didn't, pro- well, now you've proclaimed it publicly. So now people are going <laughs> to hold you to it. Right? That's right. But otherwise it just sits in Evernote and you're just like, yeah, I knew that. Right. Yeah, That's I knew cool that. that. <laughs> it's only for me.
0: I don't, I'm, I'm not <laughs> that from the rooftops. It's just for me. I, I can call myself
1: smart sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Greg Bond from Constant Contact. Thanks for joining us here on B2B Nation. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Greg Bond from Constant Contact for joining us on this episode of the B2B Nation podcast. If you found this episode interesting or insightful, follow B2B Nation on Apple, Google, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks to the technology advice crew of Amy Dunn and Hunter Hill. Mnemonics and the Guild wrote our theme song. We'll catch you next time on B2B Nation.